we continue today our only series, um, remembering the distinctives of the Protestant Reformation, that time um, in church history when the church refocused on the truths of God taught to us through Scripture and embodied in person and work of Jesus as to how we are saved. When I mean saved, I mean um, how we are made right with God, how, um, how our sin is dealt with, how our judgment um, is, is, is reckoned on our behalf, and how we were brought into and kept in a relationship with God. Um, we've looked so far at three of what, he, we, we, what you know, for our series we're calling them onlys, but, we, um, but actually the better formulation is to say alone um, or solas. Um, first of all, that we, um, that we are saved um, and that we live the Christian life by scripture alone. What that means, the ultimate authority as to the things um, such as like who God is, um, who we are, what we were made for, um, what sin is, um, what purpose and significance are, um, who Jesus is, what he's done. Um, how we respond and live, what happens when we die, um, is scripture, uh, um, all of those things that we learn is, is from scripture alone. Um, while other things can help us understand or interpret or apply those truths about God, none of those things get to supersede scripture, none of those things contradict scripture. Um, scripture is our ultimate guide to the things of God. So we believe in Scripture alone. Um, we, second, we believe in Christ alone. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Um, the, the idea that, that salvation is found in no one else other than Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, who came to earth to live a perfect life because we couldn't do that, um, die the death that our sin deserved, um, rose from the dead to conquer death and hell forever for all of those who are his, and now is in heaven, um, the, the word the Bible uses is interceding, but pleading um, to God on our behalf throughout um, our lives. So we believe in scripture alone, in Christ alone, um, through faith alone, through faith alone. That's what we discussed last week, that we are saved, um, restored to relationship with God by trusting in what Jesus Christ did for us through his death and resurrection and nothing else. While we are called to do good works, those good works are, are um, a, a response to and inspired by um, the work of God in us. We're going to talk more about that today. Um, but those works don't actually like save us. They don't give us merit. They don't. Um, they don't give us credits. It's it's not a, it's not a cosmic scale where God ways are good, God ways are bad. No, it's it's it, God has way, God has saved us through Christ's good. Christ's good has been weighed and found perfectly fulfilling of all of God's desires. We trust in Christ. We have faith in Christ. And God saves us through that faith we have in him. So those are the three solas that we've looked at um, so far. Today, we look at our fourth sola, our fourth only. Um, the truth that we are saved by grace alone. The truth that we are saved by grace alone. Now, when I think of the word um, grace, this concept, this idea of grace and grace alone, I see it as like, I thought of it as like the connecting tissue that kind of knits together um, Christ alone and faith alone. Or if you want to use examples, think of, think of like an electrical appliance, so like a lamp. Um, so um, Christ's work is the objective truth. It's the objective truth of, of electricity. Think of it like the, the socket in the wall. And, and that faith alone, the working of, of, of Christ in us to respond to him is like turning on the lamp. The grace is, is, is like the power. It's probably a really bad analogy, but it's just the one that came to my mind. It's just, it's the grace that takes what Jesus did and applies it to our lives so that we can respond 
um, to him. Um, grace um, is most often defined um, by, as the unmerited favor of God. The unmerited favor of God. And there's a sense in which all of creation, um, everything that is experienced as God's grace, God's grace is not only for the believer. Uh, that's a kind of grace that we call common grace. Um, understand that no one, no one deserves things like life or health or sunshine or flavor or beauty or the love of another person or all those things that the human experience consists of. Um, the good things that happen to people happen to people, all people, because, uh, because God is gracious. Um, all of those things are acts of God's grace. Ma Matthew 5, 45 says this, For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the un unjust. That means that all of creation gets, gets something. Um, if, 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 if all of creation got exactly what it deserved, it would be like, you're born, you die, because that's what you deserve. But no, everything that happens in this life is an act of grace. Now, the grace that we're talking about today when we talk about being saved by grace alone is not that common grace that everybody experiences. Instead, it's what we call special grace or salvific grace. Um, there's a brilliant um, theologian, church historian, pastor um, named Carl Truman. He's Presbyterian, but we don't hold that against him. Um, and he, he defines grace like this. And this, is, this should be up here behind me. Um, grace is an action on God's part, motivated by love and shaped by holiness, which takes account of the seriousness of sin, yet brings sinners back into communion with him. Let me read that again. Grace is an action on God's part, motivated by love and shaped by holiness, which takes account of the seriousness of sin, yet brings sinners back into communion or relationship um, with him. We want to understand um, this whole definition, we want to understand um, what it means um, that, that, that grace is motivated by love and shaped by holiness, um, which deals with the seriousness of sin. Sometimes we think of grace as like an overpassing of sin, but no, real grace, true biblical grace, deals with sin. But, but really, the, the emphasis when we're talking about um, the Reformation doctrine of grace alone um, is the focus on that grace is an action by God. Um, grace is an action by God. It's not uh, is, you know, sometimes we think grace is a feeling or grace as an attitude, but it's actually an action. It's actually something God does, um, which means by necessity, it's something that God does. It means it's not something we do. It's not um, while we can be gracious, while we can extend grace, the grace that brings us to God is not our work, but his work, his action um, on our behalf. Um, we believe it is God acting through the work of Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection and only the work of God through Jesus Christ that saves us. That's what we mean when we say that we are saved by grace alone. Now let's take a look at our passage and see the different ways um, in which grace saves us. Um, first, uh, the very first portion of our passage tells us that our desire for God, our desire for God is an act of God's grace. Our desire for God is an act of, our, uh, of God's grace. Let's read again verses 1 through 3 of our passage. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body 
and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. The passage tells us that we were dead. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. Um, tells us that this, is de- this defines who we are in our nature. Um, uses terms like that we were walking, that we were following. We were following the prince of power of the air. That's, that's, a, that's a reference to, to Satan, um, that this is our nature. All of this goes to, to our very essence. At essence, who are we? At essence, who are human beings? Human beings are sinners, are rebels against the will of God are children of wrath, deserving of punishment and wrath and, and, and nothing else. Um, when people talk about uh, just was trying to be true to who I am or just got to follow my heart, um, <laughs> what those things would say, I'm just going to be true to who, my sinful self or I'm just going to follow my sinful heart. Um, that Who we are can never be inextricably separated from sin, from death, um, from rebellion. That is who we are because we are spiritually dead. Dead people don't do anything dead people don't want anything dead people are incapable of any of that anymore because they're dead Um, once you're dead life is no longer a thing so preferences and attitudes and and desires are no longer a thing you're just dead spiritual death is that because we are spiritually dead there is no way there's no way that we can Um, that we can desire anything anymore that's contrary to who we are. We are spiritually dead because we are rebels. We are spiritually dead because we are sinners. And so the only thing we know in that spiritual death is the condition that we're in. And that is a condition of sinfulness, of rebellion, of hatred of God. That defines the human race. Um, 1 Corinthians 2.14 says this, the natural person, so again, this is who we are, in, in our flesh, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. This is not a question of like a sinner can hear the things of God and go, yeah, no, that's not for me, bud. You know, people say that, people think they're doing it, but the sinful man literally cannot comprehend left in and of himself, left to his own devices, he can't possibly react and say, oh, that God thing sounds good. No, left to himself, he will always reject because that is his nature. Um, The things of God are folly to him. He cannot understand the goodness of God. And this is true of all men. Romans 3, 9 through 12 says this, for we have already charged that all, all are under sin. And as it's written, no one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Paul describes man as being children of, of wrath. Left in this sin nature, um, the purpose of man uh, is to be born and to die and to suffer punishment in hell. That is what the sinful man is born for. That punishment he receives is just because that man or that woman has lived a life serving only them, running from the God who created them. Um, it's, 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 it's not unfair, it's not unjust, because that, basically that person has simply lived out who they are and what they have wanted for their whole life. They wanted to live for themselves instead of living for God. Um, Paul reminds us that this death from sin um, was and is not only true of those people, the people who are out there, the, the sinful 
the, the sinful sinners who, who, who aren't part of the church, it's also true of us. It's also true of the people of God. This is our story, not just their story. Um, now, some folks here, I guess, I, I, know, I, I, I know many of your testimonies, so I know some folks here likely profess um, Christ as a child. Um, and let's be honest, when you're, when you're, you know, all, you know, when we talk about sin in like the spiritual objective sense, like all sin um, is filthy to God and it's dirty. But let's be honest, a seven-year-old kid's sin, when you like start writing them down and adding them, like, oh, that doesn't look too bad. Okay, so I, you know, I smacked my sister, um, and I, I didn't go to bed when I was supposed to. And, you know, it's like, um, so in the grand scheme of how we look at the like at the awfulness of sin you, you look you, the tendency is to look at the sin of a child yeah it's just kids just kids being kids but really they're kids being sinful because they're sinners and that's who they are um but we don't think of it as a big deal that tends to make people who profess christ at a young age think they were never really all that bad of a sinner that is a real temptation for us to do is if you've only if you you know so if uh, if you were like, if you professed Christ and you um, said it like seven or eight or nine, oh, I want to be a Christian. I don't want to go to hell. And you, 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 I get Jesus. Jesus saved me. The ABCs. I don't know if you, some of you are Southern Baptists and you're like the ABCs. I admit to God, you are a sinner. Uh, um, so it, you know, if if you had that experience, you went to you went to vacation Bible school and you learned to trust Jesus and then you got baptized and, and you were a Christian and then like you know and then yeah and then I just followed Christ the rest of my life. You tend to look not, not see your sin as like, I was this really wretched, filthy sinner because you were seven. Just it doesn't look that wretched or filthy, but it's true. But it's true. Now let's say you weren't one of those people. Let's say you weren't one of those people who came to Christ as a kid. Um, we can still have that mindset that I'm really not that bad of a person. I really wasn't that bad of a person because um, we tend to think of like. Who are really bad people? And then we say, well, people who, um, you know, kill other people. Or basically, the people Matt sees every day at work and, and Ryan sees on the days he goes, you know, the people in prison. I'm like, well, those are really bad people. Or, like, sexual harassers, that's a big deal. And then you're like, those are really bad people. I'm not that person. Um, and we tend to, we, we, we can even tend to think, yeah, really that. Even, even if I came across, well, I wasn't really that bad because I wasn't as bad as I could be. But that's not the point. The point is... Um, that we were that bad. We were dead in our sins, spiritually dead in our sins. Even if we weren't consciously comprehending it, which we couldn't because we were incapable of understanding, um, we were always hateful towards God. We were always rebellious towards God because we had no ability to comprehend anything else. Paul also tells that even though our minds and spirits are not now that, when you become a Christian... That's not you anymore in your in 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 a spiritual truth. We we trust the scripture that when God says when you become His, you are a new creation. The old is gone. That old nature on the spiritual level has gone away. The new has come. You're now a spiritually new person. We absolutely believe that. But Paul also says the flesh is still here and it's still fighting to live out its truth. Romans seven twenty five says this. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind because I know. I know who I am in Christ, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Even though I know Jesus, I still run after my sin. Um, in his letter to Timothy, Paul identifies himself as the foremost of sinners. He says, today, 
today I am the foremost of sinners. Not once upon a time I was the foremost of sinner, but now I'm a Christian, I'm not a sinner anymore. Like, no, today I am um, the foremost sinner. It is still a thing that is true of him now. Um, this tells us that it's not ourselves, not our own efforts, not our own righteousness that keeps us from sin and turns us towards God. Even now, it's not because we decided to become Christians, we're good and we don't, we're not sinners anymore. Um, even though we're no longer slaves to sin, our spirit, our flesh still wants to sin. We still want to be petty. We still want to be self-righteous. We still want to be merciless and spiteful and jealous and angry and proud. This is our flesh at war against us um, because it is who we are in the flesh. It is only God dwelling in us by his grace, by his grace and not our own effort, um, not our own willpower, not our own intestinal fortitude, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstrings and be better. That's, that's not it. Um, we're capable to do that. Um, the only reason we want to pursue righteousness, the only one reason we want to live in a way that's not um, sinful is because of God's grace working in us. Our desire to seek God, our desire for God is an act of God's grace. Second point we see here, that our salvation is an act of God's grace. Our salvation is an act of God's grace. Um, this one is probably the one we would probably least have any contention with. Let's read starting at verse 4 again. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. The first two words of this part of the passage may be the sweetest words in the entire Bible. Having established that, left in our own sin and our own desires, we are incapable of wanting or doing anything but sin, leading to death and hell. The only hope that we have is for God to do something about it. And he does. But God. We stink. We're awful. But God. Uh, but God, um, even though we aren't looking for it, that's what we saw in those other verses before. We weren't looking for it. We didn't want it. We couldn't do it even if we did want it. God reaches in and does for us what we aren't able to do for ourselves. He makes us alive together with Christ. He alone, he alone brings us to life and in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, he raises us up with Jesus. He, he gives us access to the very presence of God. Um, back in the Old Testament, God's access was often hidden or closed off from the rest of the people. Um, in the time of Moses, uh, Moses would go up to see God and they're up on the mountain and the mountain would be covered with clouds so that the full glory of God couldn't be revealed um, to the people. They couldn't see um, God. When the, when the tabernacle and later the temple were built, those were the places where um, they, the, the Jews would come to do their sacrifices, their worship of God. Um, there was this huge, huge, thick curtain. It talks about the curtain being like this thick. I don't mean this wide. I mean this thick. And you can imagine fabric like that thick. It's just like, like, I've never seen that. I don't even know what that is. It's like a mattress, but just woven as one piece of fabric. It's staggering how thick that is. But it's like, it has to be this thick because you don't get to see the fullness of God. There is always going to be this separation. Once a year, they'd send a priest in and he'd go and give the one sacrifice. He's the only person ever allowed in there. Nobody else was allowed in there. Nobody else was allowed um, to be in the presence of God. But God now, through his grace, says, y'all get to be in my presence. You all, get, you all get to be lifted up with me. And on a spiritual level, we are with Christ. We are with God already. We are in him because of the grace shown us through Christ. He is with us. 
and he is within us. He even sent God to dwell in us. No longer do we have to turn to a temple or a mountain or, or some other kind of object to find God. God is in us and with us all because of his grace. He seated us with him in the heavenly places with Christ. Um, he gives us true hope in our eternal failure with, uh, excuse me, eternal future with him. Um, we're not only saved from death, this isn't only a rescue from our punishment, but this is an honor. I'm going to honor you as my child and my heir. Just like in the story of Prodigal Son, if you're familiar with the parable of the Prodigal Son, um, the son was sinful and wasteful. Prodigal means wasteful. He was wasteful. He went, spent, he took his father's money and he spent it all and he lived horribly and, and just offended the father more than you could possibly see. And then he comes home when he's destitute and broken and the father runs to him and throws the best stuff on him and embraces him and throws a feast, a wondrous feast for him. Um, our father has, has that for us. He has that for us, a future with him, loved, beloved as a beloved child forever and ever. Um, grace has given us not only a salvation which saves us from sin, but a salvation which gives us a hope uh, and a future of an eternal life, but not just an eternal, like, it's not like eternal average life. It's like, I used to think like, God, if I could just be like the, you know, like the garbage man in heaven, that'd be cool. And I'm still perfectly cool with that. But it's like, you might be the garbage man, but you're my son. And you get, you get to sit on thrones with me and celebrate me and, and us because of my love. It's like, wow, wow. Um, all because of the grace of what God has done for us. What motivated decision, this action on God's part um, for our, on our behalf? It's because he's rich in mercy. Rich in mercy. Um, mercy, his compassionate, kind forbearance. Um, his decision not to exact just punishment for our sin from us because it pleases him not to do that. Mercy is given only at the decision of the offended, not the plea or the merit of the offender. And this is where I think in the church we get too far. If I trust Jesus, I have done something to merit my salvation. And the idea is like, no, you didn't. God did something to give you his salvation um, through what he's done. I can't earn mercy. People don't earn mercy when a, uh, when a, uh, when a guy has you know, been charged with a crime and he goes to court. Um, for those who don't know, I'm a, I'm a criminal lawyer, so the, my examples can kind of be this. Um, a little often, but he, and you've heard the terms that he throws himself on the mercy of the court. It's like, I did it. I have no excuse. Please don't punish me too harshly. The court can extend mercy, but the court cannot extend mercy. The court can say, well, no, I'm, I'm going to give you the just punishment that you deserve um, because you're not entitled to mercy. No one's entitled to mercy, but God, because he is rich in mercy, he gives it, not because we earned it, not because we weren't good enough, not because God looks down from heaven and says, I like the cut of that guy's jib. He gets grace. No, it was like, just for, because he wanted to, because it pleased him, he looked at, for those of us who were in Christ, he looked on us and said, you, I want you, I love you, you're pretty unlovable, but that's okay because I'm perfectly lovable, and I love you. So, grace to you. All of him, nothing of us. Because of his mercy. Because of his great love. He just, here's he just loves us. The truth is, we're awful, horrible people. Don't feel bad, though, because God loves you. And so that, like, that, that cures it. That just says, 
It's all, it's all better, okay? Sometimes you tell somebody, well, you're, yeah, I'm a terrible person, but why would you say that? Nobody says that. We don't say that. That makes us look bad. It's like, I don't care if I look bad because God loved me and he saved me and that's awesome. Um, he loves us. He treasures us. He values us. Thrones in heaven. That's crazy. That's crazy that the God of the universe says, I've got eternity available to me, and I choose to spend it with you. I mean, and a whole bunch of other people, but, but I choose to spend it with you. That's, that's unbelievably awesome. Um, rich in mercy, great love, and by grace, that unmerited favor. There's nothing about us that makes God want to extend grace to us. If there was, it would be merited favor, and thus it wouldn't be grace. Grace by necessity means that salvation must come from God alone. That salvation comes from, his, from God's love, his grace, and his mercy means it was his doing and not ours that saves us. Here's a couple of verses from John chapter 6. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. I think even um, the passage from, that, that we looked at earlier when we were um, um, singing about, uh, you know, after um, come thou font, was like, Jesus goes and gets the sheep. It's the sheep that God has given him. It's not because, it's not because the sheep were smart enough to walk up to the shepherd and go, I'm one of your sheep. No, it's, it's he goes, he goes and gets them. Um, Romans chapter 9, where he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I'll have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. There is nothing we can do to make ourselves good enough for God. There's nothing we can do to make ourselves good enough for God. But we don't have to because God has done everything necessary to make us good enough. Um, because it's his goodness, not ours. Our salvation is an act of God's grace. Third, our faith is an act of God's grace. Our faith is an act of God's grace. Let's read verses 8 through 9. Um, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of your works or of works, so that no one may boast. While we're, I think we're pretty comfortable with accepting, we just talked about salvation is of grace. I think we're kind of comfortable accepting that God, salvation is the thing God does. We also kind of want this other half where we'd like, and stuff that you um, we tend not, while we tend to think of, of grace as a gift, of salvation as a gift, we tend not to think of faith as a gift because we tend to think of faith as something that we do. It's like, okay, God gives the grace and I provide the faith and there we meet and it all, you know, and it all comes together and that's how we have a relationship with God. Paul's pretty blunt here. He directly states that our faith is not of our own doing. It itself is a gift from God. We don't create our faith. We don't manufacture our faith. We don't make ourselves have faith. You, you in of, of yourself are not trying to believe in God. Um, when we respond in faith, we are only exercising that which God gives us out of his own good pleasure. A gift is something that a giver gives because the giver um, desires to give it. Now, in our society today, sometimes we don't do that. Sometimes it's like, oh, they, they gave us a gift. That's, that's a gift. Given a gift. How much do you think that was worth? It's about $15. Okay, so I'm going to go find a 15 I find a, Or I find a $16 so my gift is just that much better than the $15 gift. That's, we kind of get in that, that right? So like, no, that's not what a gift's about. So I will gladly accept a gift from you and give you nothing in return other than thanks. So just be aware that I'm trying to teach you about God's grace. Well, no, I'm here. Um, but um, a gift is something the giver gives because he desires, the giver desires to give it, not because the recipient has done anything to earn it. It's not like Christmas morning. It's like, 
all right, let's get everybody's gifts out and figure who was the best person in the family this year and who really could have measured up a little more. And then your stack's this high. No, that's not what gifts are about. Gifts come out of love. Gifts come out of um, the desire of the giver to express love. Um, John 1, chapter 12, uh, John chapter 1, 12 through 13. But for all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It's all of God. It's all his gift to us. 1 Corinthians 12, um, verse 3. No one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. We are incapable of having faith unless God gives it to us. It's not our will, but the will of God that leads us to trust him in faith. Why is this? I think this is vital. I think this is essential to understanding the Christian life. Why is it so important? Paul answers that. He answers that um, uh, at the very end of, of verse 9 that we just read. So that no one may boast. If faith was something that we could have in our own will, then we would have every right to boast. I remember once hearing a, a preacher say that basically lost people were stupid for not believing in Jesus. They, it, they were dumb. It was, it was a bad decision on their part. Um, which means, which the necessarily other side of that was means, and we Christians, we made the good decision. We did the right thing. That's a boast. That's boastfulness. And God, and, and God says, it's all of grace, so you can't boast. Um, if it was our work, we could look at a non-Christian and legitimately say, I'm better than you. Because I rightly chose to trust in Christ and you didn't. But because we are not the source of faith, because, for faith, because it doesn't come from us, we cannot make that claim. Romans 3.27, then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. It is excluded. By what? By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. Faith is not a work. Faith is, is not something we do. Faith is something God gives us so that we can respond to him. Um, faith that we could perform ourselves would be a work. It would be a, the ultimate expression of self-righteousness. The belief that we are righteous because of what we've done. Even if what we've done is just have faith in Christ. It is so, I've, I've seen people argue. Well, it's not a work, it's faith. Well, but if you're doing it, it's a work. You're, you're saying it's a work. But, but it's not a work because it's faith. Like somehow just because it's faith, it can't be a work. But when the motivation is, I had faith and therefore I am justified, like you've turned it into a work. And that's self-righteousness. The one sin that Christ condemned more than any other in his earthly ministry. Um, self-righteousness is that bad because it's the ultimate denial of God. It says, I can do something good enough to merit righteousness. I can do something good enough for God. Only a faith that acknowledges um, only a faith that we acknowledge comes from God and not from ourselves can save us because only that faith rightly recognizes God for who he truly is. Our faith is an act of God's grace. Uh, last one of these things that are work God's grace in our passage, our, our, our works are an act of God's grace. Read, let's read verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Even though grace saves us without any work on our part, grace does not mean there are no works in the Christian life. Um, Paul spends a lot of time in his letters responding to that charge. Um, Martin Luther, in the day of the Reformation, took a lot of time to respond to that charge. If you just tell people that they're saved by grace and not because of anything they do, they're not going to do anything holy. They're not going to do any good stuff. They're just going to sin, 
sin, sin, because you said, and, 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 and we need people to do good stuff. Even though grace saves us without any work on our part, grace does not mean there are no works in the Christian life. Grace is not only the unmerited favor of God in our salvation, but it is also this. This also comes from Carl Truman. It is the out, active outworking of God's merited favor in the life of the church and the believer. God's unmerited favor works itself out in the life of the church and the believer. Because we have grace, we live in that grace. Grace does result in righteous works. Works of, you know, when God says to love him with all our heart and our, his, all our mind and all our soul and all our strength and love our neighbor of ourselves, we're talking about obedience, we're talking about service and love. We're talking about um, things that we do. Grace does result in the righteous works of the Christian. Um, actually, it's a lifestyle of righteous works. Um, he said God prepared those works beforehand that we should walk in them. When you see the Bible talking about walking in something, it means like a lifestyle of doing and going, a, a constancy of doing good works. They are good works because they're God's works and not our works, but there are works we do. Even though we are doing works, we're still not doing them of our own, of our own motivation, of our own um, source. We are his workmanship. We are his creation. What we do for him is only because he made us and he's changed us into a way that will accomplish um, what we do. We carry out his works. We're not manufacturing our own good works. Um, we carry out his works. The righteous things that we do are things he ordained. It says he prepared us for. Um, he not only created the workers, us, but he created the works themselves for his own purposes. Uh, Philippians 2.13 says this, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God, God, because of his grace, makes us want to do work, good works, and God then carries out the good works through us. Knowing that, um, knowing that we know that our works of grace, we don't even find merit in the works we do. The works we do are just a thing we do because we can, because God, um, because God has loved us and given us grace. Our works are an act of God's grace. Okay, so knowing that, um, knowing that because we are saved by grace alone, there's nothing we bring to contribute or contribute to our salvation of our own merit. Our desire for God, our salvation, our faith, our works, all of those things are the work of God in our lives. Um, if we believe that, if we trust that, if we know that, it should, that should have practical effects on us. That should affect our hearts. It should affect our actions. It should affect our attitudes. Um, here's three ways that, that, that I, I think that grace should should affect his life. First of all, it should move us from legalism to freedom. It should move us from legalism to freedom. So often we say that we trust in God, but we are actually counting on ourselves and our works to prove ourselves um, that, that, that we love God. So we look at things like our piety, and piety is just a churchy word for, um, you know, those, those churchy kind of stuff you do, like, like prayer and Bible reading and, and giving and serving. Um, works of, of, of piety or, or our good deeds or how, you know, how well we, um, hey, look, I did this nice thing for my neighbor or my friend. Look, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Right, God? Look, I'm, I'm doing good stuff. Or, or a right doctrine. I know that's a that's trap I fall into because I believe the right things about God. I'm clearly, clearly, clearly Christian, right? right? I wouldn't, I, I mean, I even said that. I couldn't desire it if I wasn't, you know, if, if he wasn't giving me. So my doctrine shows that, I, that, I'm, that I'm righteous, right? Um, you know, all those things are good, and they are good. 
um, your, your, your prayer and your Bible reading and your act of service to others and your study and knowing, knowing the right things about God are all really good things. Um, relying on those things to define yourself as a Christian is essentially returning to the bondage of sin. It's going back and saying, I know I have grace, but I still want to live by a law. I'm going to kind of form this law and say, if I, if I hit these marks, I'm a good Christian. And if I don't, I'm a bad Christian. No, you're a child of God. Just live in the freedom that you're a child of God. Our acts are not what we use to prove ourselves, but they're the natural things which, which should grow. The Bible repeatedly talks about um, the things that come out of our life as things like fruit. Fruit is a grow. An apple, I think I've used this before, but I love it. An apple doesn't go one day, think I'm going to be, so uh, pop, apple out on the tree. No, the, the fruit grows because there's a tree and roots and sunshine and water and all those things. The fruit just comes out of what is essentially true of the tree on the inside. In the same way, Jesus repeatedly refers to himself, I am the vine, you are the branches. The branches don't exist apart from the vine. The fruit does not exist apart um, from the source, the tree, the vine, whatever it is. Um, our acts are just things that flow out of us because of what Christ has done for us. We are now free to do those things. We're not doing them to prove ourselves to God. We're not doing them to prove ourselves to, to the other people at church or the people in RMC or to our spouses or to our parents or to our children, whoever. We're doing them because now we're free to just do them. Uh, and we're going to try hard to do them, but we're not going to go, I hope I'm doing this right. Sorry, God, I hope I'm doing this right. He said, love other people. Are you loving other people? Well, you got it. You got it. Sometimes you're not loving other people. Repent of that. But if you're loving, don't worry about whether you're doing it right. I'm going to use, I'm going to, trust me, your offering is meager. Sorry, but it's true. It's a meager offering. But God took the two mites, two little pennies type things from a widow and said, this is the greatest thing you do. Just go out there. You're free. So just go do it. Do your best. If it kind of, you know, sometimes say, I'm going to go, do, you know, like if you invited me over to help you with like car repair or something, your car might work worse than it did than if you had invited me over to start with. But God's like, okay, you're, but you're helping. You're, you're loving. So, okay. The most loving thing would probably say, I'll come over and keep you company while you work on you. But still, it's, it's not, we, sometimes we just obsess, like, I got to do it right. I gotta, no, you're free. Go, just go and do it. Go in love. Um, Titus 2 says this, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Works basically what this says is saying is because of grace we want to we're eager we're zealous to do good works it's not it's no longer that we i mean and here's the thing if your attitude towards doing stuff for god is like i better pray today i better pray today all right god here it goes i'm giving it up here okay you should pray and the first thing you should do is repent because your 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 heart isn't living out what's true of you. Not, but but here's the thing: if you then go, Jesus, I'm I'm a mess and it's hard to pray today. But I love you and I know you want me to do this, so I'm gonna give it a shot. I just I see I I see a guy who's smiling on us at that point because because there we're just being faithful. But if we're doing it just across marks off a list, we're we're not doing it out of freedom. We're not doing it um, out of out of the desire of a heart. Um, the thing that God's saying there is he reshapes our passion. If we're faithful, if we, if, we, if we just love him and accept the grace that he has, he reshapes our passions. And so that's, that's doing the good works of things we want to do, not just hurdles we have to get over to prove ourselves alive. So it um, should move us from legalism 
to freedom. Second, um, grace should move us from arrogance to humility. From arrogance to humility. We've already seen, because we're saved by grace alone, by only God's action on our behalf and not because of our own merit, we don't boast. We have no reason to. We didn't do anything, and we're not made anything except by what he did. Boasting is just another word for arrogance. It's what comes from you if you're arrogant, um, is boasting. We are often arrogant. We are often arrogant. Um, we often think of ourselves as better than others. We just do. Because of our, we, measure, we try to measure ourselves up to each other, feel better about ourselves. So we think we're better than other people because of our beliefs or our actions our jobs, our education, the size of our homes, um, the way that we parent, where we send our kids to school, who we voted for in the last election. There are literally hundreds of ways that we try to size ourselves and compare ourselves to other people and think less of them and think more of ourselves. Um, that is the opposite of grace. What grace does in us is tells us, I, you're not, again, sorry, don't mean to burst anybody's bubble. You're not all that. I love you, and I think you're awesome, but you're also not all that. God is all that. Jesus is all that. We're awesome together, and we're awesome as individuals in Christ because God is awesome. Um, so we, are, we, we, we should come away from that going, well, it's not me. It's God. I guess God gets all the glory, and I just kind of, kind of keep pointing to him instead of me. That, that, that results in humility. Humility testifies to our belief that he saved us. He justifies us. He makes a big deal of us, and not that we do so ourselves. First Peter 5. It says, clothe yourselves, all of you, in humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Our humility testifies that we are made righteous by God and not ourselves, so we don't continue to try to prove our righteousness or think ourselves better than other people. We should move from arrogance to humility. Finally, last thing, um, grace should move us from doubt to peace. Grace should move us from doubt to peace. Well, there can certainly be a tendency for arrogance in the life of Christian, there can also be a tendency towards doubt, kind of the opposite of, of arrogance. We can see our sin too clearly, um, and we should see our sin clearly, but then we wrongly conclude that we have no value or we have no hope because of our sin. Um, so you should get that you're a sinner. You should understand that your sin's really awful. You should not go, therefore, like God can't possibly love me. That's not what it, that's that's not what grace is about. We just spent time talking about grace is not because you were lovable, but because God is loving. It is true that we have no merit, but in Christ we have hope. In Christ, there's no need for doubt and fear because you aren't a Christian because you were good enough. Everybody in this room, you weren't good enough. Get over it, okay? It's just true. We weren't good enough to be His. Um, you cannot be good enough to be secure in Christ. It's not you who produces your faith. Instead, the good news that we are saved by grace alone um, means that we have peace through Jesus. We have peace through Jesus. We now have peace with God, and because we have peace with God, we should have peace in ourselves. Ephesians 2, verse 13 through 14. Now, in union with the Messiah Jesus, who you once were far away, have been brought near by the blood of the Messiah. For it is he who is our peace. You have peace. You don't need to doubt. You don't need to fear. It wasn't you who did it. If you love Jesus, if you trust in Jesus, he did that. He did that. He's not going to let you go. He's, he's, he, like, again, like Jesus said in that passage that we looked at earlier during the, during, during this, this song set, he, he's got his hands on you. He's got his feet. 
He knows who we are. He's not letting go. You have peace. You need not have doubt. Grace should move us from doubt to peace. Um, that, and that is if you are in Christ. Now, you know, I always want to say this. If you're not in Christ, and what we mean by Christ is just simply that idea that are you trusting in Christ? If you're trusting in Christ, if you go, I know I am a sinner. I know I don't deserve any great, any, anything good from God at all. But Jesus was good. He was absolutely good. And he died for me. And I could trust him. Um, and that's it. And if you do that, that's, that's the work of grace in your life. That is a work of grace in your life. You can trust that. You can believe in that. Um, if you're not doing that today, today, today consider that. Um, after after um, I'm done up here and we um, start the Lord's Supper, I'll be um, in the back of the room. If you want to come and, and talk about that, I'd love to talk to you about that. Um, you can know um, that peace. You don't have to have doubt. You can know um, the freedom and don't have to keep trying to measure yourself up or, or prove yourself. Um, but if you are in Christ, today just, just, just know and be thankful and love. Be, understand that you're the prodigal and you've run home embrace him love him humble yourself and be thankful for the grace alone that saves us let's pray heavenly father your grace is truly an amazing thing